0: Well, in case you missed it, Boomers are the worst. They mortgaged away the financial future of every subsequent generation, they keep starting unwinnable wars, they made divorce fashionable, and raised a generation of parents, Gen Xers, who invented the participation trophy, and they still have the gall to blame it on all of us under the age of 35, who might have been the recipients of said trophies, instead of just looking in the mirror. We should still though be honest about Gen Z, the Zoomers. They are a particularly delicate and needy bunch. They're warm to socialism, trying to rehabilitate straight up communism on TikTok, and have made up at least 150 imaginary pronouns for themselves. It's out of control. Today we've got a discourse on generational politics and whether or not any of it really matters. Here in the studio with me is Larry Sharp, host of the Sharp Way podcast and from a secure remote location Hannah Cox of the Foundation for Economic (laughs) Education. We're going to get into entitlement, safe spaces, OK Boomer and President Biden's vaccine mandate, so don't go anywhere. I'm Stephen Kent and you're watching right now. Larry Sharp, Hannah Cox, nice to have you both here. The last time that we all spoke, we were on stage in South Dakota for Freedom Fest. We were doing a debate on boomers versus Zoomers. I trust everybody is done licking their wounds and uh, getting over the attacks and blatant ageism. What do you mean? I won the debate. I'm good. I walked through the trophy, the participation
1: trophy. I I walked away with it.
0: (laughs) Yes. They brought they brought you in as a Gen Xer to defend the Boomers. They did. Uh, you did the best that you could with I the hand did. you were dealt.
1: I, I I tried my best. Absolutely, I tried my best. <laughs> Remember, the Boomers have all the money, and I still want the money, so I've got to be good to my my overlords. Well, that so, is the yes. right thing to do. Absolutely. I,
0: uh, I want to, for context for all the audience who don't know what the heck we're talking about, I want to roll a quick clip from Freedom Fest for everybody of, Her- of Hannah and Larry, not Harry, talking about generational politics and duking it out over boomers versus zoomers and who is possibly worse. Let's roll that clip real quick.
2: And I think the problem is that when you look at people who feel the system is rigged and you say, get over it, you're entitled, things didn't go your way, poor baby. Well, the the reality is the system has been rigged by the boomers for themselves against other people. And so you have to come in and actually answer that and say, you're right, it has been rigged, but not by your landlord, not by your boss, by your politicians who came in and structured this system to where it benefits the few people who are connected to them and screws everybody else over. And that's what we're not doing very well in our movement is going in and helping them see the root cause of problems here.
1: I would push back the same way you pushed back. You said we have to market better to the Gen Z. You have to market better to boomers. Boomers have all the money. Boomers vote. Boomers run this, they run this nation. So you can cry and get mad and instead what has the left done? The left has alienated boomers like there's no tomorrow. They're all wrong, they're all bad, they're all old, they're all evil, they're all mean, they're all racist, they're all everything bad. And you want them now to come and take their money and their time and their vote and to help you? They're not going to. So I would push back in the same way. You want us to, to you know, market better to Gen
0: Z? Well then market better to boomers. Well they are all old and evil. I think that has been proven at this point.
1: Well, they're old and <laughs> evil with money, so I guess you gotta do something, right?
0: We don't want their wrath, right? Then we want their largesse instead, of course. Yeah. Well, Larry, make, make your kind of your opening salvo here, your opening case here on, you know, a defense of, of older generations doing the best with what they were also dealt themselves and why younger generations need to back off with the okay boomer nonsense. Well, I think the biggest issue here, right, is okay, yes, there are a lot of boomers who've you could blame. I agree, you could blame
1: them, absolutely. They did the best that they could do. Remember, the, they came from the Greatest Generation. They, they, they uh, fought. They, you know, they came after World War after World War Two. I mean, they were putting up with a lot of things that b- many of the the youngsters don't put up with now, right? There is, there was when they were growing up. There was communism versus um, versus capitalism. It was the good versus the bad. There was an evil empire out there, and they were on one side of it. But not just that, they were also on a side when after World War II, The United States is the biggest, baddest power around. There's no China really fighting us. There's there's Economically, there wasn't even a Russia fighting us economically. We were the economic powerhouse. We were everything. So everything came to us. And all of a sudden, now that's changing. And you're asking someone for most of their life, where USA number one was always true, clearly true, and no one doubted it, to all of a sudden, maybe your way of life isn't so perfect anymore and now they have to handle that too. And the people who are telling them that aren't the evil Chinese or evil Russians, it's their grandkids. It's a very different way of looking at life.
0: I mean, Hannah, this tale is as old as time, though, right? Like, generations always sort of condemning the kids that they don't get it. They always think that it was handed to them on a golden, a golden platter. But yet, like, the entire role of older generations, presumably, is to set things up for younger generations to be better. That's what parents want for their kids. And then they just get mad at them for it because they have it a little bit easier. That's the whole point of this, this human project.
2: Right. Don't you want your kids to have it easier? (laughs) But I would argue that boomers did the opposite. Right. They came. They did come from the greatest generation and they inherited so much peace and prosperity and wealth. And they took it and they squandered it. Right. And this is my biggest problem with boomers on both the right and left is that they grew up during capitalism versus socialism. Okay, But they did a terrible job of defending capitalism right here. Every which way I turn, I look at problems that have been created over the past couple of decades by people passing regulations, giving special interest favors, and continuing to entrench themselves in this crony sort of political system that we have that is not free market capitalism at all, and that has created a number of problems in our society that me as a millennial and Gen Z as the generation coming up after me now have to deal with. And so I think when you look around and you see all these problems, the biggest issue I have is that people then blame capitalism for it, and they don't understand where it came from, and they don't understand how we got here, when in reality, when I look at the the what the boomers have done since they took power over the past couple of decades is, is they've mirrored us in endless wars. They're sending all of our money overseas, our infrastructure is crumbling, our student loans are skyrocketing. All of these are problems they created while they were in office, and they never want to answer for them. They always want to shift the blame no, but there's, to there's, Gen Z or to millennials. There is a
1: big difference in this one. There's a big difference here, Hannah, and that is... When when those things happened in the past, to your point, the younger generation jumped up to repair it. The younger generation jumped up to make things happen. They went, you know what? You old people, whether you're the old Greeks or the old Russians or the old Chinese, whatever, we're going to go fix this thing. And maybe it's with revolution. or Maybe it's with building a new thing. Now we go to our safe space. Now we we still, so we get mad at the boomers, but then we expect them to fix it. We don't get mad at the boomers and say, move out of the way, we'll fix it. That's the problem with what our generation today is doing. They're not fixing. Instead, they're, weren- they're running away or being angry. Or they're thinking, you know how I'll fix it? I'll go into the street and I'll and I'll protest okay but will you get a job make money and build something oh no 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 I won't do that instead'll I'll just yell about it or I'll go online and, and I'll become you know I mean not everyone can be as cool as podcaster as me but they try to become podcasters like
0: me <laughs> you know I f- a part of that feels well, like listen, a disconnect I- from what we see though like this is the activist generation mm-hmm. right like gen Z and Millennials they love to wave signs and take action but I mean I saw Hannah make a face at that and I t- think that's because make signs and take action yeah, the same thing they I know exactly they don't <laughs> yes. they don't vote yes. they don't actually participate Participate in the process,
2: Well, I want to push back on what Larry said though, because I do think that a lot of people would love to rise up and address these problems, but boomers won't get out of the way. They won't retire. (laughs) But isn't that for like like, (laughs) die?
0: What are we really talking about? (laughs) No, no.
2: I want them to go to a beach or a golf resort, have a great time, but get out of the way for the love of
1: God. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yes, but but look at, I'll give you the perfect example: Bernie. Right, Bernie is a seventy-something-year-old guy, and the youth love him, and they can't get enough of voting for him and supporting him. Right, the left, the left, at uh, uh, voted for um, for uh, Biden, and the right voted for Trump. They're both over seventy, right? So even the young right movement is is pro-Trump. They like uh, someone who's over seventy. So you say they're not getting out of the way. The millennials are begging them for it. The the Zoomers are begging them to stay. (laughs) Begging them to stay. You
2: know as good as I do that people did not want Trump or Biden. They got these crummy options and had to pick between the two because of our two-party system that or, basically picked the nominees. the, or the
0: libertarians are, are, or, are voicing
1: their discontent. That's correct. Or they could have voted third party. I mean, that was one option. Hannah. They could have. They could have voted third party. They didn't. And of course, libertarian would have been the best choice. But there were other options, not even libertarian. They could have voted or they could have voted in the primary. I mean, there are things they could have done to change this. And the youth that voted in the primary, we know this, The youth that voted in the primary voted for Bernie and voted for Trump. So when the youth came out, they voted for
0: Bernie and they voted for Trump. The youth didn't vote for anyone even close to their own age. Larry, I mean, do you see that on the ground, though, that like a third party option does actually have hope in a younger generation? You've run on the libertarian ticket a number of different ways, a number of different times. Do you see young people actually flocking towards breaking up the duopoly or just saying they don't like the duopoly?
1: No, they absolutely show up. And the thing I would do every time, and a a little bit of self-promote, very short, when I was running for governor, what I would do all the time is I would say, anybody here in the room when I do an event who is a registered Democrat? Or just was is one now, it wasn't recently. Hands will go up. Same for Republican, hands will go up. And I'd ask a third party, hands will go up. Those who are not registered, hands will go up. I'd ask if people were under 30, hands will go up. I've had a mixed room. Go to any Democrat, Republican, you know, rally of someone who's running in a in a, in a normal race. Everyone's over 50 and they're all party loyalists. See Hannah nodding her head. She knows. That's how
2: it actually works. I, yeah, I totally agree. I think I've seen that as well. And I, I don't think that it's ever been a case where any generation wouldn't have wanted a third party. And I think that that's a problem that we have in helping people understand why we don't have those options, which yes. come down to laws yes. that have prohibited it. It's not by accident that we have this two-party system. That that argument drives me insane when people are like, clearly people don't want a third party. No, people don't have access to a third party. And that is intentional because the two parties, yet again, have used their political power to entrench themselves and to prohibit competition from entering the market. And so therefore, it's very difficult for people to even find out about third party options for them to get listed on a ballot under their actual party to be in debates, The list goes on and on and on. Fund fundraising is different for them. So people do want other options. We see that in polls consistently in the Mm -hmm. country. What they're not willing to do is quote, quote, risk their vote. They feel like it's become and it's becoming more and more partisan. The pendulum keeps swinging further and further each election. It's getting crazier and crazier. And so they're voting against what they're scared of and they're not willing to risk their votes on something they actually like. Everybody's voting against something, not for something anymore.
1: Well, the problem is they're not trying to fix the system, though, right? I talk about it all the time. Access to a ballot, right, is most states is almost impossible unless you're a major party, right? Uh, Getting into polls, Mm -hmm. right? Getting press coverage. Virtually impossible, right? But the youth are the, the good thing I'll give the youth, I'm, I'm going to give them uh, something good, is they're not watching the CNNs and Foxes of the world anywhere near as much as as the old generation. So they're mm-hmm. actually able to come online and see people like me, see other voices like Hannah. You know, they're able to see us. That's something that we we rarely get on Fox, and MSNBC. It's rare for us to do that. So so they're able to see us. So that's a good thing. But it's not enough. Right. And some of them are doing things like they're listening to, I'm not joking, only gamers. Well, while gamers are sometimes smart and savvy, many of them are, they don't know what ballot access is. Right? They have no idea what that is. They don't know that if you want to be in a poll, you have to drop $40,000 to buy a poll. That mm-hmm. it's pay to play to get into polls. People think polling's just, they're colleges doing good things. Right. No, it's pay to play. We have
0: thought leaders who inspire and, and stir, I think, rightful resentment mm-hmm. and anger in our generation about the system, the way things are. The sense that it is rigged, that all the, the rules are meant yes. to keep competition out, to keep you paying in, to a social security system that's not going to benefit you. Like, we have tons of people out there, people who are at this table and on this call are like really good at provoking that sense of resentment about it. But then when it comes to telling them like, all right, how to participate in elections, people who participate in the system, Republicans, Democrats, establishment types, they're good at that. Yes. The mainstream media is good at that. Not everybody else, the people who are trying to stir the pot.
1: Absolutely. So So they're so concerned about being correct or showing their indignation they're not saying, okay, now go do this. In fact, what winds up happening is they, they fight amongst themselves because each one's trying to gain yeah. street cred. Oh, you see it? Yep. They have street, they, they, each one has That's their the own street cred, their own credibility, so they want to grow their own pot and they don't go, okay, now I have all these people who are upset,
0: now go do this and thing. And you talked about that in, in our last debate, which was like sort of the, the facts don't care about your feelings thing. Mm-hmm. And, and you push back on that, I think, rather importantly, which is that... In politics, feelings are all that matter. That's correct. You guys. can, you can like get a, a million clicks and 10,000 retweets off of like putting a thing out there about facts are the only thing that matters. And of course, facts do matter. But if you're talking about acquiring political power mm-hmm. and, and being like actually at the reins of government, you have to indulge people's feelings. Absolutely. In a constructive and not manipulative way.
1: Manipulative, you can do both. <laughs> both work. I mean, both you could work. manipulate people. Yeah. Tucker,
0: both Tucker both Carlson work. said just the other day in, a, in an interview with Dave Rubin, Yeah, I lie sometimes if I feel really strongly about it. You know, there we go. Yes, Great. awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, but
0: like that's that's like the, the sensitivity thing. And, and you know, you've run for office and you have to talk to a bunch of different people and okay. you have to indulge their feelings. You're very good at not alienating everybody, you try to bring everybody together, but. At what cost? Does that really come at like sort of stroking the uh, um, the egos of boomers about like all their contributions to the world, even though they've made things obviously more awful for younger people?
1: Well, you can look at ageism, sexism, racism, add the ism, right? There's always a bad guy or a bad gal for every ism. Whatever the ism is, there's an enemy, right? And if you're looking at that enemy as an outside enemy, which we have for so long, and that's my point with the boomer generation, communism was outside, right? The ism was the outside person but when the ism is the person who is your family member, your friend, your coworker, your countryman, your 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 you know city your your city citizen. You, if you alienate them, you're fighting a civil war. So, I can say, "Hey, there's a problem." But I don't want to say, "Hey, there's a problem and it's your fault and you did it and you're bad." I want to say, "Hey, there's a problem and we're all in it, so can you help me fix it?" <laughs> so, as long as I as long as I focus on the system and not the individuals, You're able to get more people on board, but
0: Hannah, you like prodding boomers. It's fun, right? Like they just get—they just get so darn mad. (laughs)
2: Is it is it? It is, is it constructive? the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> it's not constructive, and I try not to do it too often. But it is funny. It is so funny to watch them melt down when you call them a boomer. Like it's not. How is that even that insulting to you? You are a boomer. Like, but they, anyways, it's funny. But I agree with Larry. I, I in my actual work, I think it, it works to build bridges. I think that we need to find ways to come together. We do not need any more pot or flamethrowers out there. There are plenty of them. We need people who are able to actually get people to cooperate. And that's something that's very disappointing about the liberty movement to me is we have great ideas. We're totally right, I think, about all of our policies, but we haven't been great about organizing. Mm -hmm. And that's something I've done in past political work. I've passed bills. I've gotten things done by being able to organize very different people, very broad coalitions to come together for a common issue. And that's how you actually get things done in this country.
0: One of the things with generational politics, because it it often seems very conceptual and a little bit arbitrary when you're talking about which generation starts and begins where, but it all comes down to a lot of cultural things. Like when you say boomer, you're sort of picturing a certain kind of person, a mentality about the world. Same as when you deride millennials. Millennials is just as effective as a descriptor for a generation as it is a piece of slander to try to get people to react to saying, I'm calling you sensitive and a baby. Right. But... There is a real tangible thing in generational politics, and that is taxing and spending. Sure. It is is wealth transfers between generations, the way that we have set up our retirement system, Mm -hmm. where current workers, young people, are literally paying to uh, support the retirement of elderly folks, and they had to do the same thing for the previous generation themselves because that's the system we've chosen. It's rigged from top to bottom. Is there a way to fix it? Is there actually a way to try and dismantle what I view as a Ponzi scheme when it comes to retirement and entitlements because yeah. entitlements is something that knows no bounds for any generation. Well, remember, if it comes to me, it's a benefit. If it comes to you, it's an entitlement. <laughs> yeah, so but, let's let's and, remember that. And your people always say like, well, we paid into the system too. And I'm like, I know you paid into the system too, <laughs> yes. but this has to stop.
1: Yes, but anything someone else gets is an entitlement. Whatever yes. I get is my benefit that I earned. Yeah. Just so we're clear on that. But no, um, I, I think it ha- the, the most important thing is to pull it out of government. Right. I see it in my state, New York. We have a, a union system. Right. Union's a perfect example of this. Right. And we have a, a tier six union. Tier six is basically paying tier one. I'm not joking to sit in, in Florida. Right. The people who are retired, they make three or four hundred thousand dollars a year. I'm not making this up. These are actual numbers. And they sit in Florida. They take the money that comes from New York state taxpayers and they spend it in Florida. Now, not that I'm upset with them. I'm not mad at the individual person, right? I, I, what's, what's the saying? Oh, hate the game, don't hate the player, mm-hmm. right? I'm not mad at the person for doing it, right? They're taking advantage of a system they paid into, and I get it. But now we have to make some shifts and some adjustments because the pension bombs that are happening in states is even worse. Remember, the, the federal government can just print more fake money and just give us inflation and print on, in theory, forever and, and just make inflation. Do. And they do, <laughs> but a state can't. So once a state gets into trouble, a state has to go bankrupt. Illinois is looking at that right now. New York will be looking at that. Pension bombs that are going to explode. So while, you know, unless you're going to allow a, a state to just have its own money also, and we all start just printing out fake money, then I guess it'll be fine until the world burns. But until the world <laughs> burns, I mean, <laughs> the world's going to burn. That's the problem. So yes, you have to pull it out of government. You've seen that the private sector has already done it. The private sector pulled, its, pulled uh, itself out of pensions decades ago because they knew there were Ponzi schemes and it wouldn't work. So we do the same thing. It's just not going to work. It has to be changed.
0: But, Hannah, it's never going to happen as long as boomers control three quarters of Congress and young people aren't voting. And eventually, by the time young you people t- are voting age or, like, you know, voting age for participating in politics actively when they maybe have houses and kids and all that stuff. They're not going to have houses. They will then, <laughs> they will then be participants <laughs> in the retirement system themselves, and they won't want to change it either. It'll just pra- never they end. probably
1: won't have kids either. I'm just saying, neither. Yeah, no kids, no (laughs) kids. Probably no house, probably no kids. (laughs)
2: Nothing's happening for you. You're die alone without Social Security. (laughs) Exactly, yes.
1: You're you're, you're a Zoomer, you get nothing. Pretty much. (laughs) That's it. You get a Netflix account and be happy. (laughs)
2: Yeah, with it. But Stephen took words right out of my mouth. Like, this is another reason we need boomers to retire because they will keep picking the can down the road. They They certainly aren't going to cut themselves off, right, as they're approaching retirement. And this is one reason I actually think we should probably have an age cap in Congress and for our presidency, because as a whole, people start making very selfish decisions once they're there. They're not thinking about the next generation. They're not thinking about what comes after them. And that's a huge problem. If I think if you had younger people in Congress, we would be tackling this because people like me know I'm getting robbed every other week from my paycheck. Thousands of dollars to basically save for retirement. I'm never going to see. I'm funding other people's retirement. I'm not going to get any of that. We're facing bankruptcy very quickly in the social security system, even federally. You're absolutely right about the pensions and the state. This is a tremendous problem. It's a huge ticking time bomb that people are not paying close enough attention to, but it's going to burst and we're going to be in big trouble when it does. Versus going ahead and making some hard decisions now, which is what leaders should be doing to start to transition us into a private system that we know would reap better rewards for everybody involved. But getting that political capital in order to move that kind of thing across the finish line is simply not there because we don't have enough diversity within our
0: leadership. Not to mention our population is shrinking we're getting, we're getting smaller as a country, having less kids, and getting more restrictive on legal means of immigration so that people are actually paying into the system. I mean, one of the, one of the things that actually convinced me to be more open-minded on increasing the amount of immigration that we actually bring in is so I was looking at the retirement numbers yep. and Social Security was like, well, if we aren't going to have babies, right, if we're not going to force people into having children, we need Americans to actually pay for this entire system that we've built, and we're not doing it. Well, there's there's a worst part on top and of all
2: so that, and that's so true everywhere.
1: Yeah, the, the worst part on all that is many of the Zoomers they don't even have an ownership mindset. Their mindset is all about renting, 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 There's renting. There's a new
0: service now for renting your furniture for your homes. It's and not new. It was it well, should, <laughs> No, it was like it was getting fed to me in like my yes. um in my targeted ads yep. on my social media feed and it was like owning furniture is outdated. Yes. Here's why you should rent the furniture oh my for your home. God. And I just was like that is so sad. Yes, that is so sad. And also uh, a firm, this app where you like buy things and then you make payments on them over yep. time, it's like credit for your furniture or whatever. Now you can get it without putting any money for yes. it at all. You Correct. can just buy now, get later. Yes. It's, a, it's and, a generation of no ownership.
1: And the reason why that matters is if you don't have ownership, to, to Hannah's point, if I don't have ownership, do I care about the future? If I don't have ownership, am I looking at the future, right? When, initially, if you, when America was built, um, you had to own land, or own property to vote because the assumption was, and this is too far, but I'm just, I'm bringing this back for, for context, sure. that if you don't own land in a community, why do you care about the community? That was the mm-hmm. assumption back then. Now, that's not exactly the same now, obviously, but the concept is the same as a generation. If we're just waiting for the next monthly note to come and making sure that our credit, our debit card works every month, and that's all we care about, it doesn't matter who gives us the card, Is the card some wealthy, you know, uh, private equity fund that owns all of our housing and that owns all of our uh, cars and owns our furniture we rent it from them? Is it some large corporation? Is it the government? It doesn't matter. It's something big. And COVID, the lockdowns of COVID made that even clearer, that as long as something big keeps giving me my thing every month, I'm fine. And the big thing, sadly, is probably going to be government.
0: Do you think that we should try to move away, though, from caring too much about generational differences and thinking of people as members of collectives? There is a case to be made that all the generational cohorts that we talk about sort of casually are completely arbitrary. There's really nothing that makes a person born at the beginning of 1946, at the end of 1946. All that different but yet we draw a line right down the middle and say you're greatest generation you're a boomer just take it and go and that's part of your identity and how you think as libertarians everyone at this table today is a libertarian aren't we supposed to care more about individualism and not thinking of people as members of blocks we do however there's some
1: howevers here you're right we do care about individuals and i talk about bringing everyone together hannah's about bringing everyone together also right we're all talking about bringing everyone together but there are certain cultural things that happen that do affect you, right? My daughter, my youngest daughter is 11. And she grew <laughs> up on an iPad. That's going to make her different than me when I was 11. Gen alpha, <clears throat> right? And that's what they're calling them but, now. But you see what I'm saying? That's going to make them different. Because of that, generations are getting smaller, right? Generation now socially is only about seven years, right? So about every seven years is a new generation. My daughters are six years apart. And even they have differences. It's not, It's not, you know you know great office but there's a difference in the kids not mean personality in how they grew up right when i grew up as a kid i mean i remember i remember you know getting a computer when i was 13 and i was like the only kid who had one i mean that's how it was when i when i was a kid right i i grew up on different things there's no internet when i went up to college even but right? there's no internet So all that stuff didn't even exist when I was. So, yes, I'm a different person because of my environment. World War II, growing up during World War II or after World War II, you could be a different person in this country, right? Growing up during depression, you're a different person. Growing up with no alcohol, different person. So I do think there is some validity in how people think based on what's happening culturally. I'll say like maybe now, after pre and post Mm 9-11, right? I mean- I still remember...
0: I mean, <clears> Hannah, <throat> that's got to define part of like how you, how you view the world, right? Like the 9-11 turning point defines a generation's way of thinking.
2: Right. And and speaking of Turning Point, I was watching that documentary this weekend and just being reminded of how different life was before 9-11. I was in eighth grade when it happened, but I was remembering how much simpler it was, how much more trusting we were. Just I don't know how much we got along. You know, we had politics, but people didn't hate each other like we do now. And in watching that, I realized just how different my life was even now because 9-11 happened, how much different my country is, how much different my culture is. It does matter. I don't like using generations for generational warfare purposes. But when we talk about their political needs, when we talk about their mentalities, you can't help but analyze it from that standpoint. And I do think that it's relevant. I think that when I look at people even younger than me who don't remember a time before nine eleven, that's significant. That's a big deal. You grew up in a very different country very different mindset, very different culture than I did. And it's also important to learn from it. You know, watching that documentary, I was responded of how afraid boomers were and how they were so reactionary during that time period and how so many things they've put into place impact us now. I can learn from the previous generation's mistakes now that we're facing a very similar circumstance with the pandemic, where, you know, we're facing another big threat. We're facing another thing where people have a lot of fears about their public health and safety. And so you see the government trying to use that to capitalize on it, to expand their powers, to seize new options. And a lot of people are willing to just hand it over and give it to them and and just keep assuming that these will be temporary measures. Generations can learn from previous generations mistakes, but I do think we have to have these conversations in order for that to happen.
1: This goes right back to what I talked about. If you're you're a boomer or, or Gen Xer, you couldn't imagine an attack on American soil. It was unimaginable to you. Like, so of course you always felt safe, right? I would send my, we'd send the young poor kids overseas to have them die in Vietnam. But you know, us rich people, we wouldn't, right? That would never happen to us. All of a sudden, a bunch of financial bankers got killed, right, in 9-11. All of a sudden, that changed everything. And then everything became okay, right? Everything became okay at that point. So before that, that was the most shocking piece for, for our nation. And now if you're born or if you're kind of raised after that, all you know is a police state. All you know is a nation at war. That's all you know. I When I joined the Marine Corps in the 80s, um, we got out, just got out of Vietnam. Most of my senior leadership were Vietnam vets. Americans didn't like war in the 80s. Mm-hmm. That wasn't a good thing, right? We didn't like that. But they gave us a couple of baby wars, right? Grenada and Panama. And, you know, they gave us some baby wars. Then they gave us the easiest one, which was the first Gulf War. Now we're ready to go back to war again. And we're ready. And the second 9-11 hit, war machine back back in action again.
0: Hannah brought up the pandemic. So I actually want to turn to that and and talk a little bit about generational differences there. You know, one of the, the things that I find to be most surprising about younger generations is that they are, by and large, more liberal. They tend to vote Democratic in droves for Gen Z and Millennials. But still, and this is for a generation that sort of makes their uh, their cred online by virtue signaling about every single thing that they do, Yes, <laughs> they are not rushing to go get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. They do still have the lowest vaccination rates, the highest percentage of vaccine hesitancy that has been reported by the Census Bureau, and I mean, obviously, you could look at that and say, well, it's because they're the lowest at-risk group. They don't have to get vaccinated. They have the invincibility complex of young people, and old folks are rushing to go get vaccinated. But old folks tend to have much more hesitant politics and skeptical politics when it comes to the Republicans versus Democrats. It's really kind of scrambled, I think, generational politics a little bit, just looking at vaccines and how we're going to approach that, especially as we get near a vaccine mandate, being handed down by the president curious what your thoughts are these days on on how we're going to approach
1: that what what most people aren't getting and this is a big it's an important distinction are you anti-vaccine or are you anti-mandate and they are two separate things Mm -hmm. right they are two that i know many people who are vaccinated i'm one of them who are against mandates i'm one of them right so I know lots of people who think a mandate's wrong. It is bad. It's government overreach. It's a problem. But they get vaccinated. I know people who who just don't want to be vaccinated. It's a whole, it's a whole different issue, and we should think about both of those. The youth in general, they are invincible. I remember when I was a 19-year-old <laughs> Marine, literally asking to go to war because I thought that I was going to solve all America's problems. Right? I believed that, as and I, I would bet most Marines believe that. Right? I believe that. I wanted to go do that. I thought that was going to be the answer. So I think there is a lot of, I don't need that. I can beat COVID. I remember, I remember some guys when we were talking, this is back when they're talking about getting shot and like, eh, bullet's not that big. Things like that. I mean, these are crazy statements, right? But people would say that as a way of just saying, I'm bulletproof. I could do the thing. And this is, I think it's youth and it's common.
0: Anna?
2: It is. But I also think that we need to pay attention to the politics behind some of this, because what's so interesting to me is that the libertarians are really the only ones taking a consistent stance here when it comes to the principles underlying much of this. And I think that for people who are on the left, you know, I'm not saying the left, but I kind of understand their mentality. They've been working lately on things like bodily autonomy. That's been huge on the left, right? We had the Me Too movement about that. We've been fighting the war on drugs on that. They hate big pharma for these reasons. And then you come out and you basically have a party and an national news media that's taking the exact opposite stance Mm -hmm. to all of that. They're trying to coerce people to put things in their body. They're trying to use the government to even push people out of employment over what they put into their body or they do not. That is such a violation of bodily autonomy and of the very things we've been fighting within the war on drugs. If you don't think it's okay for the government to put people in jail over what they put in their body, then you shouldn't think it's okay for them to push them out of employment over what they don't put in their body. And I say that as a very pro-vaccine person myself. I have the vaccine. I think that people should make their own educated opinions and get it. But when it comes to the coercion behind this and the mandates, it is such a turnoff. It made me not even want to get it because I was like, I don't want to be a part of this being forced on me. I hate what's happening around me. I intend to burn my vaccine card. I'm not showing it to anybody. Right. Like this is a actual principle stance. And so I think that for many young people, yes, they vote left. We've seen this generation after generation, but they tend to start moving when they get into the workforce, when they really start paying a bit more attention to what's happening in their political sector. And COVID has forced everybody to be a bit more awake to those realities, to look at what government will do, how far it will go, how much it will tread on your individual liberty, on your choices. And I am hopeful that the silver lining of all this for people in Gen Z and even millennials might be that they finally start to understand the problems we as libertarians have seen with government for ages and ages and ages because it's finally starting to impact them versus just the poor and marginalized and people of color that are usually most impacted by these kinds of government policies. Um, So I'm hopeful that this could be an awakening moment and we might see a real movement come out of it to push back on this in a principled way and I think that you see that not just within the generational differences we see that a lot of people of color are not getting the vaccine either Mm -hmm. and I think that goes back to trust issues they have with the government times that they've been experimented on as a community by government um, with early procedures and, and lied to about the nature of those. So I, I think as a whole, this is something we'll continue to see people kind of crossing the sidelines when it comes to COVID policies.
0: I think
1: there's two things I want to bring up. One of is, I, I, I agree completely with what Hannah just said about the, the hesitancy. I'm not anti-vaxxed. I vaccinate my kids. I'm not, I'm not against vaccines, but when the mandate came down, I didn't want to get it. And that was totally emotional. It wasn't logical at all. Mm -hmm. Logically, I should have not changed my stance at all. It's the same thing. But once they even talked about the idea of passports or anything, immediately, I did not want to get it. I
0: hesitated because I was being ordered to do so. So I didn't want to do it. Yeah, as a people, we have a complex. We have a complex. You could say this is like a good thing or a bad thing about Americans, depending on where you stand, but we are stubborn. Mm-hmm. And when you try to force things, it makes it worse. Vaccination rates were going up. People were getting yes. vaccinated. We were getting close to the herd immunity idea, which they told us was going to be our salvation. And now he comes back, President Biden comes back to probably recover his poll numbers from mm-hmm. the Afghanistan debacle because a majority of independents support the idea of vaccine mandates. Yes. That has been reported to be the highest among independents. And that is I think what's at play here is this is all political. This is about shoring up support for a thing that the average voter might generally support. But it's going to it's going to decrease the amount of people who want to get this vaccine.
1: Yes. And people are fighting that based upon the vaccine. Right. The point of it being mixed. It's just they, they did what they always do. They made something that should not have been political political. And once you make it political, now I'm either on the blue team or the red team. Therefore, I will yell at the other regardless of my actions. And there's the key. It doesn't matter what my personal actions are, right? I can never go to a Yankee game ever, but I'm going to say the Yankees are awesome because they're my team. In fact, I might go to an Angels game, but I'm still going to yell the Yankees are my team. So whether I get the vax or not, if I'm on the red team, vax is bad. I'm on the blue team, vax is our savior. So when I'm going to yell at what I'm going to do are two separate things. It's the team that I'm on. This is literally the logic versus feelings versus facts. It's actions versus talk.
0: I'm going to talk the way my team tells me to talk, but I'll do what I think is appropriate. I'm just horrified at how we're seeing this whole concept of public health in general really come home to roost when we're talking about a virus that impacts every single individual differently. Mm -hmm. You and I, we might all be carrying COVID-19 and be completely asymptomatic, and yet we would test positive, and they're still going to try to force you to take some sort of medicine about it, regardless of whether or not it actually is a harm to your health. And they can't fully account for, in every single case, whether or not the vaccine is going to be perfect for you, right? Like People understand this. There is no such thing as public health. There's individuals' health, and then we need to do as much as we can to mitigate things in the interim like spread. But I'll go back to 9-11, and I think this is a key piece. If you go prior to 9-11,
1: try to find a president who would ever say something like this, my number one job is to keep every American safe. You can't find that. Phony. You can't find that. Right, but since nine eleven, and Bush said my number one job is to keep America safe. Every single executive, whether governor, mayor, president, all the executives now say that. And here's the thing that that, that that's most important. That's a lie. They right. took the same oath I took, the oath that you take as, as any part of the executive branch is to defend and support the Constitution. Pretty sure it's to keep us free. Yes. It's not <laughs> like, to yeah. make sure Protect. every human being in America is always safe and never gets the COVID they virus. And lock us in our homes. That's, which is what right. they did. So to keep our which is individual what they did. safe. Yes. And that, that started 9-11. But it's the second piece that started. Bush is the one who started this. He started, my number one job is to keep you safe. And two, just go shop. Shh, I got this don't get involved, Shh, go shop, I got this, right? And from that, all the presidents not do that. We got, we'll got, we go bomb the people, you go back to work. COVID hits, you go you sit back and watch Netflix, we'll send you a check, we got this. That's what happened. The, the, good leaders don't say, I got this, go away. Good leaders say, come with me so we can fix this. I don't mind leading from the front, that's a good thing. But I don't, don't be by myself. A good leader brings everyone together to fix this thing. We don't do that. We say, you sit in your home, and then this is millennial stuff. This is Zoomer stuff. You sit in your home, and then I'm gonna say, "We did it, didn't <laughs> we do it? Oh, we did it together.
0: That's all you, blank arms. We, yeah,
1: yeah, you sat home and watched Netflix and Hulu while I forced workers to go out and uh, and to work in hospitals. And I didn't care if my delivery guy got got COVID because he's an immigrant anyway. I don't care about him. But you sat in your home and watched Hulu. See,
0: we did it. That's that all started in 9/11, hardcore, and hasn't stopped. Okay, and I want to give you the final word here, and I guess I want to ask if there is any semblance of hope bouncing around in your mind that remains for this future generation to get this whole pandemic thing right, because the war on terror was the march of one of the largest declines that we've ever seen in this yes. country on civil liberties. It was propagated and pushed to us by older generations. Younger generations have grown up in it, accepted it, yes. and I get the sense that our generation, that you and I are both a part of, wants the bubble wrap. They want the bubble wrap from COVID. They've been accustomed to it. And I think we're gonna make it worse. Do you have any hope? (laughs)
2: Well, I first want to agree with Larry. I do think that this is exactly how they've tried to handle it. They've said, sit home, don't pay attention, mm-hmm. we've got this. Good leaders, their only responsibility is to give us the information we need to yes. make the best individual choices we can for ourselves, and they needed to do that, and they've done the opposite. They have consistently given us lies, false mm-hmm. information, they've misled us, they've gaslighted us after they've misled it, and it would come out that they've been lying all along on a given subject, and they'd say that didn't happen, and they keep keep it moving. The The... I, don't, I cannot fathom anybody coming out of this pandemic and thinking that we want to give this government more power or more control. It, it just boggles my brain. But I do think you're right, Stephen. I think there are a lot of people who fear works. It's a very powerful tool on the public. I think emotions work. And that's what they've been doing over and over and over is feeding them fear porn, continuing to say, just give us more of your liberties, just give us more of your rights, and we've got this, we'll handle it. But we know that that's not true. We've seen every war they've ever waged war on terror, war on drugs, war on poverty. They've always lost. It's yeah. always been a war on us at the end of the day and on our individual liberties. Their job is not to keep us safe. It's to keep our individual liberties safe. And that's what I think people have got to rise up and recognize that this is a battle between collectivism and individualism. It, yes, it's a left versus right thing. But really, when you get down to the nuts and bolts of it, that's what we're fighting. And public health is their new mantra under which they're going to continue pushing collectivist ideologies. We've seen that they believe they have special Mm -hmm. powers to give themselves and they can get all kinds of things done under this public health umbrella. Don't think it stops with COVID. Mm -hmm. It doesn't. This is a time for us to rise up as individuals and demand that our liberties are guarded and that they stay out. And, And I do feel hopeful, as I said earlier in this episode, I really do think that there are a lot of people across the political spectrum who are waking up and saying, hold on a second. They cannot do this. This is too far. And they're starting to rise up. So is it everybody in Gen Z? No. Is it is it a ton of people? No, but we don't need a ton of people to change the course of history. We've seen that over and over and over again. We need a dedicated small minority who's willing to continue to rise up and fight on the behalf of others. I'm ready to fight. I think there's others out there with me and I feel pretty good about it.
1: Larry's ready. Well, I, yes, but I, but I wanna add some hope. Um, and it's the internet, right? The, as
0: bad as- Said the- no one ever. The internet? Yes. Our hope?
1: Yes. Yes, I know. And the the bad thing about the COVID lockdowns are too many to mention. But there was one good thing about the COVID lockdown. And that is a lot of people started getting their news not from the mainstream, right? That was the one advantage that I think of all the bad things that happened, that was a good thing. And I think non-mainstream news is, is becoming more mainstream, if that makes any sense. Most non-mainstream news is terrible, but that has to get better too. And I think it will. And we will become more discerning on what is good and what isn't good and what is real and what isn't real. And now, once you have another option, when it's just the left yelling at the right and the right yelling at the left, there's no need to have any dialogue. There's no need to ha- if you watch any mainstream news, it's, it's this. Here's an issue that I hate. I'm going to bring on someone who also hates the issue. Let's yell about it. Or let me bring on someone who hates the people who I hate. Yes, yell about them that's the news now. But now when you go to a third party, now there's a different type of conversation. I now have to deal with the issue. I think it will make in the long run. This is a longer term. This is not next year. This is five or 10 years from now. I think it will make for better news and we'll get better information. And I think a better chance of people
0: actually stepping up. Y'all, this has been great conversation. Thank you so much for hanging with me on this. want to clean the slate here real quick, go to personal news or trends that maybe have you excited about the state of the world or just being alive. Uh, Hannah, you want to start us off? Anything that you're excited about?
2: I do. I'm really excited about my news story. I saw something this weekend that made me so proud to be an American and it took place at a college football game, which I love. Um, It was at the Miami versus Appalachia State college football game. And there was a little kitty cat who had broken into the stadium. He was up in the top rafters. He lost his footing. He was hanging on by a claw. It looked like he was a goner. The whole stadium was trying to reach him, pull him up. They couldn't get him. But down below... Other fans spread a gigantic American flag out. And so when he lost his grip oh and gosh. fell, they caught him in the American flag U-S-S-A. and saved his life. U-S-S-A. The cat's fine, USA, <laughs> USA, I loved it. <laughs>
1: very nice, very nice, it's great. Hey, the That's collective great. rises up it's and awesome. saves the kitty cat. I love it, I love it so Larry, funny. what about you, man? I'm coming out here in about two months or so, I'm way behind. I'm coming up with a book, a book on happiness. And the book is called On Happiness. I love it. Yes, and it's, it's illustrated by my daughter, who is a cartoonist. That's awesome. And yes. when does it come out? Hopefully in two months. I am way, b- supposed to come out in July. I'm way behind. Writing a book is hard. Who knew? It, it is, is difficult. Hard. Yes, it is. It is, is. hard. I just, so, yes. I just
0: finished mine and taped the audio book last week. There and, we go. Uh, I'm exhausted. I don't even know if I have energy left to promote it. There we go. That's my uh, point. So it, what if anybody with. cares, go to sharpway.com. You can check it out. All right, folks, do that. Um, I guess my final good news, just to, uh, to ri- wind us down, I am uh, really, really excited about the new movie coming out, the second attempt at a Dune movie. Yes. Coming out in October of this year, starring Timothy Chalamet, Josh Brolin, Oscar Isaac. I just finished the book. I'd never read Dune before, and I just completed it last week. It was quite a saga. I learned a lot, and I now understand why that story is as big and overhyped as it is,
1: yes. it does deserve it. You like Dune? I watched the movie in the movie theaters 1984, was it, when it came out? Pretty horrendous movie. Yeah, well, yes, yes. However, it was 1984, we didn't have much else, so compared to that, not bad. Take what you can get. Take what you can get. So,
0: yeah, you can watch the old Dune <laughs> yes. movie on HBO Max, and I did, and I regret every moment that I spent <laughs> yes. watching that film, but now I know, and I'm ready for the new Dune movie in October, so... That's it for this week's episode of Right Now. Next week, we've got none other than Nick Gillespie, editor-in-chief of Reason.com on the show, so be sure to subscribe as you wouldn't want to miss that one. This channel is growing really fast with new video series from Gothics and Brad Palumbo, plus a newsletter called Unfettered, linked just below this episode, so you should like this video, you should subscribe, and follow the newsletter. And obviously, it should be added to your weekly digest. It's good reading. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, keep asking why, stay out of line and be a bug in the system. Have a great week.